0: We read God's Word in Psalm 119, beginning at verse 89, and reading three sections. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. O how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refined my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste! Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth! Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me. Yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. This far we read the word of God. I call your attention to verses 99 and 100. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. It's a sobering thing, isn't it, beloved, to read and to sing the 119th psalm? We can't just make these words, our words, sort of mechanically or intellectually. To sing the word of God requires us to understand the word of God. To sing with understanding, to say, I mean that. But then when we come to read or to sing, oh how love I thy law, we stop a moment, moment, we say, now do I really? And if I do, how deeply do I? And isn't it true that sometimes I don't? Hasn't my life shown that? So we see, don't we, that on the one hand, only the regenerated child of God can sing and read this psalm, and in the second place, that when the regenerated child of God does it, he still sees how much sin is in him, in me, in you, and how far we have yet to go in the attaining to perfection which finally we will attain only when we're brought to glory. But we must sing the psalm. We must say with understanding these words, Oh, how love I thy law. Many things stand in the way of our saying that as deeply and truly as we ought, but one thing that stands in the way is the fact that when I keep the law of God, When I speak in defense of the honor and glory of my Savior, I'm going to get ridiculed. I'm going to get ridiculed from some within the church. Not just the world. That's almost to be expected. And we're ready to suffer, we say, at the hands of a wicked world. But now sometimes when those in the sphere of the covenant oppose me, For my love for the law of God, that makes me step back a minute and say, Now, why do I do this? And that's the situation which the psalmist found himself. In Israel, many were not keeping the law of God. There's a host of verses in the psalm that indicate that. But one that we read is 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me. Yet I erred not from thy precepts. Those were not the wicked Philistines, the wicked uh, Egyptians. These were the wicked in Israel. And so the psalmist also faced that concrete reality that though he would keep the law of God, some within the sphere of the covenant opposed him for it. And when confronted now with the option, so what do I do? he said, I keep God's precepts. I will continue by grace to keep God's precepts. If I am alone in Israel in keeping the precepts and the whole covenant people of God say we've abandoned the law of God or don't say they did, pretend they're keeping it, but have indeed strayed from it, I will keep them, says the psalmist. And by grace you say that and I say that also this evening. And our text sets forth the reason why. When in the sphere of the covenant, many do not keep the law and will oppose and scorn those who do, why the psalmist says, but I will. The reason is this, because he understood that law better than they did. And he understood the God who reveals himself in the law, the glories of God better than Than they did. Sobering. Our text is not a boast. I have more understanding than all my teachers. It's not a boast. It's not a shout of joy. It's not a glee. What a dumb teacher I have. How smart I am. It's a grievous cry. We're going to see that tonight. But it's the reality which that grievous cry expresses that is the reason why the psalmist will keep the law of God, though others around him don't. More understanding than all my teachers. To that I call your attention this evening. Notice first the meaning, secondly, the reason, and third, the confession. A preacher ought always look for an idea in a text that ties the whole text together and set forth that idea clearly for the understanding of the people. And in this text, we must begin with the word understanding. I have more understanding than all my teachers, and I understand more than the ancients. If we don't understand, what the concept understand is. We won't get the point of the text. So what is understanding? You've gone to school for a whole year, students. You're at the end of a year. What is understanding? You've sat through catechism. you sat at church and you've gained knowledge. But what is understanding? True understanding is the activity of the regenerated child of God according to which the regenerated child of god by the grace of god can take all that he knows all the tidbits of knowledge this fact this fact that fact that fact that fact about history that fact about geography he could take all those tidbits of knowledge and he can relate them to the glory of his god and his savior jesus christ that's true understanding. And not only that, once he's related all these tidbits of knowledge to God in Christ, then the regenerated child of God, who has this true understanding, lives according to this truth that he's been taught. So I'm going to spell that out. I'm going to explain that at length. I do so by pointing out that there is such a thing as knowledge, there is such a thing as understanding, and there is such a thing as wisdom. And the three are successive uh, or deeper aspects of a same reality. There is knowledge, and knowledge regards facts. I know this, I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But when the psalmist says, I understand, he means more than that he has knowledge. Oh, he has knowledge. There is no such thing as understanding without knowledge. He has knowledge. But he means more than just that he knows facts. From these facts he sees the glory of God as creator. And it isn't now just the facts of geography and of history and of science, although those two, but as we'll see in the text it's the facts set forth in the scriptures, in the testimonies, and in the precepts, in the revelation of God. He takes the Bible as being more than just a record of historical facts. He takes the scriptures as being more than, as liberal Christians will tell you today, more than, and not even, a record of what people once thought. And he says, they are the revelation of Jehovah God. From himself to me, he's teaching me. And I understand what he's teaching about himself and about Jesus Christ. And then, that being understanding, an insight, a penetration into the meaning of these facts, that leads to wisdom, that leads to a godly walk in the service of Jesus Christ. That this is what understanding is, Scripture itself e- indicates. It does so, first of all, by the two Hebrew words. They're both translated understanding or understand in our text, but two different Hebrew words, the first of which in verse 99 means to look at something and to have insight. Think of Abraham, uh, Adam. Think of Adam in the Garden of Eden when the animals came before him and he was to name them. And he not merely looked and said, well now this animal has four legs, it has a tail, and so that one's going to be a horse. And that one has four legs and a tail, but it looks different, so that one's going to be a cow. He understood what that animal represented and how that animal displayed the glory of God. That's the first word in verse 99. To look at something and have insight into its deeper meaning. And the word translated understand in verse 100 is one that means to be able to distinguish between two things, particularly now between what is right and what is wrong, what is godliness, and what is sin. And therefore to conclude what really matters and what doesn't. That first of all, the Hebrew words are what indicate that understanding is all that I said it is. But in the second place, there are other scriptures themselves. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So where does understanding start? In fearing Jehovah. Not in having a 4.0. Not in having a IQ, that's beyond the charts, but in fearing Jehovah. And then again, Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And then thirdly, the proof that understanding is what I said it was, that it takes the revelation of God and understands God as revealed, in it comes out of our own text in the second part, because I keep. Thy precepts and thy testimonies are my meditation. So now let's relate understanding to Jesus Christ and in this point, in this instance, bring the gospel into our text and we can do that in two ways. True understanding is a relating of everything that you know to your Lord and Savior. If there are covenant school teachers in our audience, I'll ask you, is that what you endeavored to impart to your children, your students this year? They needed to know, perhaps, if in kindergarten, how to tie their shoes, and that doesn't so much relate to Jesus Christ. But as they grew older, they needed to know how to do math. They needed to know how to do history and understand history. Did you relate it? To Jesus Christ, did you show them explicitly what the subject says? And then to the students here, this question, Did you ask, What do we have to know this for anyway? Or did you say, This must relate to Jesus Christ somehow. And I'm going to find out How? True understanding always points to Him. Not just to Him as Lord. As Him who at the right hand of God governs and directs all things. But to Him as your Savior. For in His good providence, He sent us to good Christian schools. Whatever form those schools took now. He sent us to those schools in order that we might learn about him, not just first of all, be prepared someday when we're 18 to get a job and make good money because we know more maybe than the next guy, but he sent us to those schools to learn about him and stand in awe of him. The second place true understanding relates to Christ in as much as it is a gift of God on the basis of Christ's work on the cross and by his spirit. Just to say, Adam and Eve had this true understanding once, but they gave it all up, didn't they? And they gave it up for you and for me. when they fell into sin. I began my definition of true understanding by saying it is the activity of the regenerated child of God. It is not something I have by nature. It is not, therefore, again, a matter of my being smarter than somebody else, for it could be somebody is ever so much smarter than me and gets a better grade on a test, but I understand more that something of what the psalmist is saying in the text, those teachers weren't dummies, but they didn't relate all that they knew and taught to the glory of God In Jesus Christ. This is a gift from God in Christ. My understanding by nature is darkened. It seeks only me. It seeks only earthly life. It ignores God. It denies God. It turns against God. By nature. But by grace. Being regenerated. My understanding is illuminated. And renewed. And I behold him again as my Savior in Christ. Do you have the understanding of what the text speaks? That's not something that leads you to boast. It makes you say, God, be thanked. Now that we understand, understanding that way, you can see what the psalmist is not saying. When he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. In the first place, he's not saying, I know more. I had a catechism student once. I'll even say he lives in the same home as I do. Who in many ways knows more than I do. At least his knowledge is more precise and accurate. And if I were teaching a point about Bible history and my son were to raise his hand and say, Dad, that's not right. He was probably right. It's not a matter of knowing more. There are students who know more than their teacher. Not at kindergarten, first and second grade level perhaps. By the time you're teaching grown men as I am. There are some who know things more than I do. That's not what's going on here. There are students who learn more quickly. There are students who have a greater capacity for knowledge. There are students whose knowledge is much more broad and expansive. That's not the point that the psalmist is making here, but he's making this point very simply. The people who taught me imparted facts to me, but they don't understand God in Christ. It's just head knowledge to them. Isn't that sad? I said this is really a, a statement that grieves the psalmist as he recognizes it. Who the psalmist was we don't know. But apparently he lived in a time in Israel when there were many teachers. Now think on the one hand, think older people. And that's what verse 100 points us to, more understanding than the ancients, the older people, many older people who were teaching the younger, but even in the schools, the synagogue schools perhaps, if he lived late in the history, or the other schools to which the rabbis taught him, he recognized that there was something lacking in the instruction they gave. And that indicates that this was probably a time of great apostasy in Israel. Maybe not the worst of times. Just before the Jews are brought into captivity, for instance. Maybe not that bad. But a time when religion was something of a formality. When imparting knowledge was something of a, this is what you have to know. When teaching the law was a matter of, here's what the law says, and here's how we say you will keep it. But the heart, the heart was not addressed. That's the time in which he lives. This might be a factor, having teachers of this nature, might be a factor. And why the psalmist himself says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, verse 67. Why wouldn't he? Wouldn't you expect him to go astray? If religion is only a formality among so many of the leaders, even of the Jews, and if Understanding is just a matter of have the right facts in your head, but not understand how they glorify God in Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you go astray? After all, also at the same time in Israel are those who mock and reproach those who will keep the law. And so a warning to all who have a position of authority in the church, whether it be the church institute, pastor, elder, deacon, or the church organic, such as our Christian day schools, that we have a great responsibility laid upon us. I understood more than all my teachers. There's three reasons why that's such a grievous reality. Number one, because the ancients, verse 100, the older ones, are expected to become wiser as we grow older. And these apparently didn't. Number two, because these teachers are in the covenant, in the sphere of the covenant, in Israel, you would suppose, you would expect them then, If they're teaching the Bible, the revelation of God, the Torah, the first five books of of the Bible of Moses, as far as the Israelites of those days are concerned, you would expect them to have deeper understanding. And in the third place, it's a grievous statement because the very calling of the teacher is to impart this very thing. The psalmist grieves because of the state of affairs in Israel and the day in which he lived. In a way, it points us to another day, still technically in the Old Testament, when there was a 12-year-old boy, only he was no mere man, in the temple. And he was asking hard questions of the rabbis, the doctors of the day. And not only did he ask hard questions that made them marvel, but he also gave answers to their questions which amazed them. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. Of course, he being Jehovah God in the flesh could have a greater understanding than any mere man. And yet it was Jesus Christ in his human nature that's in the foreground there in Luke 2. And it's Jesus Christ. As he himself had to grow. His brain had to develop. His own intellectual ability. To take two facts. And relate them to each other. Had to develop. And he has understanding. Beyond. The rabbis. The scribes and the Pharisees. Whom he will throughout his entire ministry. Denounce. Really as Being very poor teachers because they couldn't even understand that the Scriptures pointed to Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah who had come. And now we live in the same day. Live in the same day when I speak of it, that way I mean it very broadly. Not just in the sphere of the covenant, but let's start with the fact that we live in the midst of a world, a society. That very much disregards God and God's law and God's Messiah. And if you go to many a college today, even if it's called a Christian college, you are not at all surprised to hear of men, professors, PhDs they have. Smart men. But they don't understand the scriptures. They become a snare to many a young person. He thinks that getting knowledge is the thing that matters most. Getting knowledge, getting an earthly degree, and many a young person can also be led astray. If you young people don't understand the very point the psalmist is making, true understanding is not how smart you are and what degrees you have, but it's do you understand the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and live accordingly. If we narrow it a little, then we go from society in general to Christianity in general. Not all of society even pretends to be Christian. But I read many books. Many books written, again, by educated people. Some are professors in other institutions, notorious institutions. And at the end you say, but the book was worthless. Why was the book worthless? Because it took the Bible. It was a book about the Bible." And it threw away, it threw out the window, the right way to understand the Bible. And it introduces into the minds of the reader a wrong way to understand the Bible. A dangerously wrong way. So that the application tonight can come not just to those who might go to college, but can come to every one of us as we open up a book. Here's a religious book. We'll read it maybe and discuss it at Bible at book club, Bible study, or whatever And the application of the text is be discerning. Don't swallow every new idea that you read. Put it to the test. And now as we take that application to ourselves and narrow it even more. I do not in any way mean to leave the impression That in our own schools, we have such teachers, generally speaking, as don't understand. Notice that the, the psalmist is speaking very broadly. All my teachers, by the grace of God. We can't say that about all our teachers. Yet it happens, doesn't it? But even in our own schools, it's possible to have such a teacher for whom the imparting of the knowledge of God and the glory of our Savior and the word of God as a rule for faith and life isn't the main concern. Thank God for those many teachers who do have understanding and impart them. And then not limiting it to schools and teachers there, thank God for parents, the ancients. Thank God for grandparents, the ancients, who have understanding and who impart it. This is what the psalmist means when he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. They might be smart, but they don't know how to relate all their smarts to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Now why can he say that? There must be some objective reason. This is not just a cocky whippersnapper saying, I'm going to spout off, my, my tongue's kind of loose right now, and I'm going to say what I want about my teacher, and I'm going to cut my teacher down. He has a very objective reason. And he gives it in the last part of both of the verses of our text. For thy testimonies are my meditation. And because I keep thy precepts. He brings us back to God's law. Though the word testimonies and precepts in Psalm 119 can refer narrowly again to the law, the law of Moses, the law that has thou shalt and thou shalt not. Remember that Psalm 119 is really about the word of God, the revelation of God, not the commands and prohibitions, narrowly, but including them, also everything God makes known about Himself. So that the psalmist is saying, from your viewpoint and mine, I have more understanding than all my teachers, because I meditate on the Scriptures, and I understand more than the ancients, because I keep God's Word. He views that word, first of all, as God's testimony. And that's not a hard idea to explain. What is a testimony? Was it to bear testimony? You bear testimony when somebody asks you, how did this event go? Tell me what's true, this or that. You might bear testimony before a judge. You might bear testimony before a mother or father asking you, but you bear testimony every time we take a test. Make a test at school, a final exam, bearing testimony of what I have learned. Well, God's word is his testimony. It is his word to us about himself. It is as if God, who is the only true witness, the only one who can bear witness to truth, says, nobody else will tell you, nobody else can tell you, About the one true God. But if you don't know about the one true God. You're impoverished spiritually, intellectually and in every other way. I will tell you about the one true God. And he gives us his word. And in his word he bears witness to himself. He says I exist. Creation will tell you I exist. But the word of God does too. Because thus saith the Lord. He exists. He not only tells us that he exists, he says, I love my people in Christ. Sinners though they are, I formed them to be my own. I've redeemed them, chosen from eternity, redeemed on the blood, basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, renewed them by the Spirit worked in their heart, and so he gives testimony in his word to his covenant faithfulness and his sovereign grace. And then he also says this, the way of true happiness. Because after all, the child of God, or rather the human, for that matter, he wants to be happy. The way of true happiness is the way of keeping the law of God. And he bears testimony to that because there are so many people today saying not only there is no God, the Bible isn't really about a God, But also saying, you don't need to keep the law of God to be happy. Do what you want. You know what makes you happy. Whatever feels good makes you happy. And there's a God who bears testimony. And he says, oh no. The way of peace, of joy, of happiness is the way of obedience to the law of God. The psalmist speaks of the scripture as God's testimonies. And underlying all that is a doctrine of the divine inspiration of the Scriptures. Then he speaks of his precepts. And this more narrowly does speak about commands and directives and ordering of life, of positive commands, this is what we must do, and negative commands, prohibitions, that is what we may not do. But even here, when the psalmist speaks of the commands of the law of God, he isn't distinguishing it from testimony. He's saying even in the law of God, Jehovah reveals himself. And every time you go through the Ten Commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism, and every time a different injunction or command imperative of the New Testament is explained from the pulpit as the basis for a text, There must in some way be an explaining to the congregation of what this reveals about God. The psalmist says, it's on these things, the revelation of God, that I meditate. And it's these precepts that I keep. His love for the law shows itself in meditating, mulling over reading, studying, thinking about, contemplating the scriptures. Did you read your favorite blog today? Or will you be sure to do so tomorrow? Is there a journal or a magazine or some other publication that relates to your work? You've got to be sure to read regularly, daily, or weekly. Are you, quote-unquote, religious about reading those things? Are you the same as regards reading the Scriptures? Is the reading of a blog, is the reading of a devotional a substitute for the reading of the scriptures or an accompanying of the reading of the scriptures? There are many things, this is the point I'm making, there are many things on which we would meditate. And whether it's reading, maybe it's watching, maybe it's watching instead of listening to a podcast So listening, maybe it's watching a video on YouTube. But with the same fervency, do we meditate on the word of God? That's what the psalmist says he did. And then he kept God's precepts. And implied in the word kept is that there's a danger. This is law of God, which I am to keep and love that I might be drawn aside from it, that I will turn aside, that I will turn my back on it and be like so many in society around. But he understood the danger and he brought his need to God in prayer. He prayed, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And he kept God's precepts. This doesn't mean he was sinless. It means though, when he recognized that he had sinned, he brought his offerings to the temple And he beheld again the picture of atonement that would be made in the blood of Jesus Christ. He sought grace to turn from his evil way. Daily conversion was his desire and prayer, and God gave that gift to him. I'm saying all of this is the objective reason why he can say, I have more understanding than all my teachers. And it begs a question. What is there about the keeping of the law that enables one to say that? He isn't just saying, here's the proof. I have more understanding than all my teachers, and here's the proof. I keep the law and they don't. That might be true, but that's not doing justice to what he's saying. He's saying the reason why I have more understanding Is that I meditate on God's precepts and uh, revelation, testimonies, and I keep his precepts. In other words, he turned to the Word, and they turned away from the Word. The more you and I think that we can live a Christian life Without turning again, again, and again to the Word of God. The more you and I think that our knowledge of Scripture as we've received it in the first 18 years of our life is really enough. And for the rest 18 or for the rest 80 maybe, we don't have to really go back to the Scriptures every day because for the first 18 we were taught them, the more we think that, the greater danger we stand in. To come back to the Word again and again doesn't just show how wise we are, but it will be the means by which God gives us wisdom. For you see, you can never come to the depth of your knowledge of Scripture. You can never plummet fully. There will always be more to learn. There will always be more to see, to contemplate, and to meditate on. It's like a married couple who were married two years and said, wow, these have been two good years. We know each other a little better than we used to. And then after five years, they said, and we know each other even better. And after 10 and 20 and 30 and 40, they say, I know you even more. I understand you better. And that's what the child of God finds as he comes again and again to the word of God. He grows in his understanding of God himself. Now well, let me illustrate that a minute by referring to two commandments specifically. And of course, what the psalmist is saying is not limited just to the commandments of the law of God. It speaks of all scripture, but I'm going to illustrate it with two commandments. Let's say you despise your father and mother. Or your teacher, or church authorities, or civil authorities. You lack understanding. And that understanding which you lack is fundamentally a lack of understanding of the sovereignty of God as manifest in setting up authorities over us and giving us authorities and governments for our help. One now who says, but I would, I would love the sovereignty of God. I desire to grow in my understanding of the sovereignty of God and how he governs all the affairs of history will turn himself more and more to the keeping of the fifth commandment. It's not just that keeping that commandment. He shows he understands. But in keeping it diligently and fervently again and again, he grows in his understanding of Jehovah's Sovereignty. And the second illustration will be from the seventh commandment. Suppose you ignore and set aside the seventh commandment in your own life, whether you're a single person so that you give yourself freely in a sexual way to any one at your pleasure, or whether as a married person. Don't say then that you understand the faithfulness of God, because you don't. For you, the faithfulness of God is just something in your head. Maybe you could answer questions about it. Maybe if it asked certain essentials book questions about it, you could give right answers. But that's just your head. Your knowledge of Jehovah's faithfulness is from here up. And it's not here. But now keep the seventh commandment. Pray for grace to keep it. Keep it again and again and again. Resolve to keep it. And you grow even deeper in your understanding of the faithfulness of Jehovah God to His covenant to us in Jesus Christ. The psalmist grieves because his teachers were doing this. And so there's application again to you and to me. And the first, although I may have begun to make it already, is beware the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom, which I'd put in quotation marks, and understanding, which again I would put in quotation marks, is not this wisdom and understanding of which the psalmist speaks. And there's one thing very specifically that the world's wisdom will not give you, and that is the ability and the desire to live an antithetical life of a child of God in the midst of evil days in which we live as we await the return of our Lord and Savior. Strive for wisdom and understanding. Study the word of God and live according to it, if that be the reason why some call you a fool then you also have the objective proof that they are wrong and you are right. You keep God's precepts and they who scoff at the law of God are in great spiritual danger. Their soul is in great peril. And it might not look like that now. They might have the happiest of earthly lives. And it might be another 70 years before they die and are brought before God in judgment, but the peril in which they stand is an ongoing and an ever-increasing peril. the second place, pray for every member of the covenant. Teachers, ancients, church, school, leaders alike, that we have this understanding and show by our example that the word of God and the knowledge of God and of Christ that comes from the word is what matters above all else to us. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Having seen objectively why the psalmist could say what he did and grieving because he had to say this about teachers and ancients nevertheless made a confession. He didn't Keep quiet about it. You might have told him he ought to. Better keep quiet now. Your teachers, they aren't going to take well to being told this, especially if they really lack understanding. They're going to turn on you all the more. But no, the child of God cannot keep quiet. He cannot keep quiet about the work of the grace of God in him. It isn't me, what a boast I'm making. The person is not boasting. This is not the young person boasting in how knowledgeable he were. If he were boasting, he's not keeping the precepts of God. He makes a confession. He isn't quiet. But he says, this is true. Because of what God says. Gave me. And so as you and I make this confession. We make a confession about the sovereign grace of Jehovah God. The I. Is a sinner. Unworthy of being given knowledge or understanding. Unworthy of being renewed and regenerated. But nonetheless against all that we're worthy of. And in demonstration of the great riches of the grace of God. Being given these gifts. The I is the sinner, unworthy of heaven, but knowing that he's been put on a pathway that leads finally to heaven. That the Lord's purpose in giving you and me these gifts is to prepare us for service to him, not just on earth until we die, but ultimately in the glorified church, the church triumphant to all ages. And the I is the sinner who says, but God has spared and preserved me before I was afflicted. I went astray. It's the same I, but God has preserved me. So make this your confession. And as you read Psalm 119 and sing Psalm 119 in every verse, this one too, make it come from your heart and do it as a token of praise and gratitude to the great, all glorious, covenant keeping God who gives understanding. Amen. Our Father, we charge in heaven to the glory of thy grace. We confess what understanding thou hast given us, not innate, an innate gift but a gift of grace. And so we can hone and develop and grow even in our understanding. And thou wilt give us to do so as we use the means. But to thee be the praise and honor and glory. Who live in evil times. Give us that understanding that we might live an antithetical life. And then we thank thee for the many parents and grandparents, pastors, elders, deacons, teachers, Sunday school teachers, teachers in covenant day schools, and others who do impart understanding because they realize that this is what matters most to the child of God. And at the end of a year, may that understanding bear fruit in the hearts and the lives of our covenant youth. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.